I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. You're listening to a London Review of Books podcast. It seems to me your journalism began in interviews, began in listening to people's voices and transcribing what they said. And this then becomes a basis for your own uh, creative work. Is that correct? Yes because I knew absolutely nothing about Mexico after this wonderful academic career I had in this, in this convent. Uh, convent. So it was really, I started from one day to another. This cannot ha- happen anymore. You have to have a, f- a good formation in order to be a journalist. But at that time, there was, it wasn't difficult. So I entered from one day to another mm-hmm. into this, news, this newspaper called Excelsior. Mm-hmm. And I, they told me, you, you can do interviews. I entered a very corny section called Sociales, mm-hmm. where politicians show their daughters that can be married, or they should mm-hmm. be married. <laughs> they show them like if they were a piece of a ham or, or <laughs> I don't know, a marmalade or whatever. Uh. So this was Socialis in Excelsior, and then I, I continued there. Yeah. When you start getting to be a serious, uh, doing the more serious stories, when you've moved on from the Socialis to the news, when did that happen? What was the transition? Well, usually uh, women were not at, at all taken into account, especially they were, they were considered, they, were, they went into the newspapers Mientras me caso, while I'm getting married. And the worst thing that can happen to any woman, especially in Mexico, is to be married to a journalist. Because journalists usually, they go away, they say that they have a very wonderful work to do, and they don't come back, or or they come back two days ago. And so I started uh, doing all these interviews, and then afterwards, as I stayed and stayed and stayed on, 
I was, I was moved to another section mm. of the newspaper, which was political. And for me, it was very important because at that time, there was nothing in the newspapers that could on poverty. There was, of course, La Nota Roja. How do you call it? Murders mm -hmm. and things like that, mm -hmm. assassinations. But there was nothing really uh, social or political. Mm -hmm. I remember Carlos Fuentes, he was a censor in movies. He had to sit in the chair with his name, mm -hmm. and he had nothing to do but say, corte, corte, this dog, because the dog went through in front of the cameras, este perro denigra Mexico. This dog <laughs> denigrates Mexico. So you had to do the scene all over again. And he was very happy to do this. And he did it with another very great writer, uh, whose, whose name is Juan Rulfo. Mm. And uh, at, I, I, no, no one spoke too much at this conference about Juan Rulfo. Mm. Only Carlos Fuentes, mm. especially Octavio Paz, was mm. spoken about. But they, uh, Rulfo was also a very extraordinary mm. Mexican novelist mm. and storyteller. Also, he, Rulfo is, politically speaking, much more focused in a way than even than Fuentes, don't you think, in terms of his portrayal of Because he portrayed, he yeah. portrayed poverty, yeah. no? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You also knew Buñuel, didn't you? Oh, I loved Buñuel very much. I, I loved him. We went together uh, to jail. <laughs> <laughs> we were not put in jail, but we did go to jail. To to Lecumberri because he wanted to see Alvaro Mutis, mm -hmm. who was a very important, a very important Colombian writer who was in jail at the time. And we went to see him at least four times uh, because uh, Buñuel was shown the whole of the jail mm -hmm. and everyone was very, very impressed by having Buñuel visit the jail. And uh, we were invited to have lunch there. <laughs> so we had a big, big bowl of broth. And inside, inside mine, there was a bone, a, a, a bone about this, this size. And uh, there was a prisoner there that put his hand into my bowl. And I was kind of surprised, and <laughs> Buñuel also. And he picked it up and he said, Espérese un ratito. Wait for a second, I'm going to bring you a present. So he came back after at least uh, one hour, and he, uh, he gave me the bone, and it was a little virgin of Guadalupe. He, he, had, he had carved in the bone. And so we were, I was so touched by this. And, and Buñuel also, because you must know something that nobody really knows, that Buñuel, uh, his ashes, are under the altar of the Dominicans in Mexico, in La Igle in a church. My English today is horrible. I should <laughs> ask, well. I should beg. <laughs> no, yes, I have to look for my words. But, uh, so Buñuel is there, you pray on top of Buñuel's ashes. And he, I think, as he loved the sacrilegios, yeah. He must be very surprised, <laughs> but he, he, he was a great friend of Padre Julian, mm -hmm. and he asked Padre Julian to take care of his ashes. His ashes.
-hmm. In Lecumberi, there were other artists, weren't they? Siqueiros was in Lecumberi as well. Yes, Siqueiros was in mm -hmm. Lecumberi, and mm -hmm. he had two cells, one where he painted, mm -hmm and the other one where he received his wife and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually most of the prisoners had uh, diverse cells in the various sections mm -hmm. of jail. And if they had lovers, they used to run like mad from one section to the other one <laughs> because they received them on the same day. Uh, yeah. uh, coming back to the issue of journalism and your writing, um, what really strikes me about Leonora is that the whole book is written in the present tense. Mm -hmm. How do you, how did you do that? Because it's very hard to stay in the present tense. A, how did you do that? And B, why did you do that? Well, I, I couldn't tell you why, because uh, I, I can tell you why I, I want this book to be a, it's a novel, it's not a biography. A biography still has to be written about Leonora. There are many books in the United States, critical books about her work, but no, this was a sort of a Mexican tribute to her mm -hmm. because she was such a private person. She used to hate journalists <laughs> and she used to say, every time anyone asked her for an interview, she would say, oh, what a bloody nuisance. Mm -hmm. For her, it, made, it was very disagreeable. Mm -hmm. But as I knew her, she was young, when, when she was young and I was young, I started uh, writing what she, had what she would tell me. Mm -hmm. And then I w when I saw her again, she was older and I was older. She was sort of more lonely. She, she greeted me in her kitchen. She had postcards of the queen <laughs> in, her, uh, in, in her tea room. And so we had tea. And she, the first thing she always said is, what's new in politics? And she always asked me about the Mexican president, but I had no good news to give her. <laughs> <laughs> you have one, one chapter in your book is called Diaz Ordaz, who of course was the El Aviudo de Mexico, as we used to call him, remember? Mm -hmm. um, did she read the book? She died in, 2000, in 2011, and you finished the book in 2000. Yes, I gave her the book, and I, I made many, many little drawings in it, and I stuck uh, images in it that she would love, no? Especially animals, especially horses. Yes. And, uh, and she just told me, oh, she couldn't care, and she couldn't care about what people said, or she, she said, oh, put it there in the bookshelf, or put it, put it over there. So she didn't read it? She didn't read it. No. No, she didn't read it. Did you run passages by her as you wrote them at all? Did she, did she see any of it? Because you, you were writing it over a long period. How no, long? She, no, I just told her that I uh, treasured her words mm. and I treasured the things she said. Mm. But I really, I never read, she didn't like interviews. Mm. She didn't like, as I've told you, she didn't like journalists. Mm. So I did, but she did. She did read some things. Mm. She really, uh, really, what she cared were critical things yeah. that were said about her. But if they, if it was, if there were nice things, mm. she wouldn't. Yeah. She wouldn't even read it. The book is a, it's a very odd book. Uh, one of your reviewers said it's amazing that you got so much material into such a short space. But it's only, it's only, it's under four hundred pages. Uh, and yes, I know. But my son, my son always tells me. No, no muchas palabras, no, mucha, no muchos nombres, no, 
because she, uh, my son Mane tells me it's too many. He's a yeah. scientist, yeah. so he tells me not too many ma uh. names, because there I have a, a tendency. Of of there are lots of names. There's more than names in a Russian novel in his book. Really? Yeah. No, that, oh, don't say that because but, uh, I'm going to feel. <laughs> I feel very guilty. They're, they're all familiar names. We know them all. But it's, it, what surprised me is that it's three different books, it seems to me. Three books condensed into one. The first book is the Bildungsroman about her, her development as mm -hmm. a young woman. Her father. Her father. Her mother, yes. And the wonderful moment late in the book when she names her first son after her father. Yes, uh, which is a surprise because she kept saying all the time <laughs> that she, Harold Carrington, she was a monster. Yeah. And the worst thing that would happen to her was to go back to England yeah. and uh, face yeah. her father. <laughs> That's right, yes. Like, was, I mean, you have the, the Bildungsroman at the start, then you have this amazing relationship with Ernst and all the surrealists and all the beginning of the Second Guggenheim, World. Yes. And Peggy Guggenheim, who actually she treats and you treat very, very sympathetically, I think, don't you? She, Peggy says, either you take him or I'll take him, but we can't keep fighting like this, which I think is a very grown-up thing for Peggy to say, unlike the other, the other woman who laid claim to Max Ernst. There's a, there's a great deal of activity around Max Ernst, isn't there? Yes. He's quite well, ineffectual. She, he says, I have a genital commitment to this woman. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> but he had, nothing, he was very good-looking. Yeah. He was very good-looking. He was very intelligent. He was the most cr creative person at the yeah. time. Yeah. And he was in love with her. He, he made a very beautiful uh, picture of her, which mm. is called Leonora in the Morning Light, which is in Mexico. Mm. And he, I think he, was, he, really, he really loved her. Mm. No? And he, he, wanted her to, he wanted her to stay in New York. Mm. And then there's another man there that has been completely uh, forgotten, snubbed. Mm -hmm. treated in a very snobbish way, who is Renato Leduc. Mm -hmm. He was a poet and a very good poet. Mm. He wrote a sonnet on time that we all know by heart. Mm. And uh, when she went out of in, in Santander of this mad house for mm. very rich people, mm. because very rich people usually get madder before poor people. <laughs> No, before that time or before others, uh, she asked Renato, she had met him, she asked, she said, uh, can you help me get out of this bad house? Mm. And so he took her back to that Mexico. That was in Spain, wasn't it? When, yeah. In Santander, yeah, yeah. that was in Spain. Mm. So, they, so he took her back and he was very wonderful to her, but then they only stayed together for one year. Mm -hmm. And I asked once Renato, why, why? He loved bullfights and she hated, of course, anything against animals. Mm -hmm. And so I said, why did you split up? And he said, because Leonora used to speak more to the dog than to my, to <laughs> my yes. When they did split up, she took all of the animals except one with her, didn't she? She took all the animals and she became a great friend of an English woman who was an actress also, who did the La Folle de Chaillot. Mm -hmm. How do you say it in English? The Mad Woman of Chaillot, yeah. The ma Mad Woman who did theater. Mm -hmm. And so Leonora started doing all the dresses and everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this uh, really helped her. Mm -hmm. uh, her name was Escobedo. Mm -hmm. Yes, Elsie Escobedo. Elsie Escobedo. Yes. 
But that was the third part of the novel. So you have the Bildungsroman, you have the surrealist. And the very sad part and about the, her going crazy. Her yes. going crazy, mm -hmm. yeah. That was, in that Santa little bit was, was horrible, because of course she lost Ernst and the war was coming and so on. She yeah. lost Ernst, but then uh, uh, really, yes, but she, I don't think she ever lost him, really. No. I think she was too, too yeah. creative, too, yeah. too, she was a magical human being, mm. so really, I think she was very brave mm. when she chose to go to Mexico mm. uh, with, uh, with Renato Leduc and not to stay with Peggy Guggenheim mm. and become very mm. rich and very mm. well-known in New York. Yeah. That's why she's a secret. Yeah. I mean, she's, a, she's really a, a secret in Mexico. She's mm. not well-known. Mm. Here, she's not well-known, which is really, really, uh, really <laughs> very odd. There are, other, there are other women like her, Nancy Cunard, for example, who did amazing things uh -huh. and are quite quite neglected at the moment. Though I think they're coming back, aren't they? Thanks yes, to yes. war laborers and others. Um, the last part of the novel is, in a sense, the least the least compelling, but it's also one of the best written because, and it, one of the wonderfully translated, of course, um, because um, it keeps our attention through an through an area no longer rich in incident. Uh -huh. no, it's more. Um, it's more. You're hearing her voice, and you're. you're there are not so many names. No, there are more <laughs> names than ever. Loads of names there, and th there are lots of familiar names too, like uh, like the name of Ines Amor, uh, the famous. Uh, Ines Amor. My second name is Amor. I was wondering if you were related. And she, yes, she was my aunt. Oh. Only I don't think she liked me too much. <laughs> she but, didn't like uh, many people. She, because <laughs> people don't like journalists. No. Well, <laughs> aunts. Uh, <laughs> cousins, they don't like journalists. Yeah, so, yeah, so. Yeah. but she was, uh, she took, she was very wonderful to Leonora, and Leonora at the beginning uh, likes her, but Leonora' real benefactor was Edward James, yes. the man who built Kilitla, uh, mm. this this extraordinary place mm. in San Luis Potosí which is now very difficult to get to because it's so full of, uh, of people with guns because oh. of the drug, no? Yeah, yeah. Is it, you, you evoke James very, very well. He's, he came from her background, didn't he? And she felt very at home with him. As it was as like finding a, another fragment that had broken off from the same, from the same antique social system. Yes, yeah. and he was, but she, still she did quarrel with him. Once she caught him, he arrived, uh, he was. Uh, he arrived to her house in Calle Chihuahua, mm -hmm. and he took a, uh, one of his, her. She wasn't there, so he took one of her paintbrushes, and he started. Uh, I don't know, painting some little part of her uh, painting. And when she <laughs> found out that, and when she came back, she got very, very yes. mad. And mm -hmm. then another time. I, I think although he was so rich, he was very stingy. Mm. So he said, he argued about the value of the paintings. He I said, I'm going to buy three paintings at this price. So she really said, she said to him, you can, the door is over there, you can leave. You can leave. Mm. I don't want to see you. So of course he came back mm. and asked for pardon, asked <laughs> to be forgiven. Yes. And he was a great friend, also of Remedios Varo, mm -hmm. and also of a, a very extraordinary photographer, Katy Orna. Katy Orna, uh, who communicated 
with Leonora, with uh, una paloma. Como se dice una paloma? A doe that went from one, one house to the other. Imagine. A messenger dove, a yes. messenger pigeon. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's fun. And, the, and Leonora would then send it back with a message. Leonora, it. yes. But the good one, the one who did it very well was Katy Orna. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yes. yes. Did, you, uh, did you ever travel to see the, the, the James house? The yes, James yes, store? I did yes. go there. I did go and mm -hmm. I loved it. And mm -hmm. it's very extraordinary because it has balconies mm -hmm. that lead nowhere, staircases that end in the sky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They take you nowhere, mm -hmm. and it's really. And now the Mexicans are very proud of this mm -hmm. garden, and yeah. they fixed it, and so. But they make it difficult to get to. <laughs> but it's difficult yeah. because yeah. of the gunmen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In Mexico, things are very difficult because of politics, yes. and because of very corrupt politicians. Mm -hmm. This book, given that you've written it across a very difficult political period. Um, <laughs> Is, is a remarkably unpolitical book, isn't it? It's as though she was privileged, obviously. Even, even when she was suffering, she was privileged, uh -huh. uh, as James was. Well, she wasn't so, so unpolitical, as you say, because in, uh, when Max Ernst was taken to a camp mm. because he was German, uh, she went to Madrid and she stayed in the streets and she, she made leaflets mm. that she used to hand, she handed to everyone in the street. And she wanted to be, to have an interview with Franco to tell him about the perils mm. of war. And she was very much, until her last day, very much against nazismo. Mm. Nazism? Nazism, yes. Very much. And Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. She was very, very much very pro-Jew mm -hmm. all her life. Mm -hmm. Her two children, her two boys went to Israel. Her husband was called... Chiki Weiss, he mm. was a, a very extraordinary man and he, a, a very good, very good husband. Mm. Mm. And she, she always, and she, her friends mostly, most of them, they, in Mexico, they came from the Jewish colony. And the Jewish colony also brought many of her paintings. Mm. So she was very political on this, mm. in this, in very book. political and very brave. So she did care about politics. Mm. The first thing she said when she opened the door, she always said, what's new in politics? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. At the end, she didn't care who was the president because it didn't matter anyway. Mm. It was going to be very mm. awful anyway. Yeah. 
Looking through, reading through the book, I was surprised at how much of your other work is somehow alluded to, or the themes of it are touched on there. The, 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 the obviously Tlatelolco, but all the early themes uh, as well. Um, do you see it as in some way obliquely autobiographical? My, my uh, Leonora. Leonora, oh, I wish. I you wish. wish that no, no, <laughs> I don't have these pretensions. Mm. But for instance, I do have the pretension that Leonora illustrated uh, Lilus Kikos, mm -hmm. which is a book about a, yeah. a girl in the convent, mm -hmm. and she did all the drawings. Mm -hmm. And when I went back with all the dra drawings to give them back to mm -hmm. her, she said, oh, please keep them. Wow. So she was mm -hmm. very generous. And there are drawings about this size, mm -hmm. and she told me to keep them. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for, she was a feminist also, mm -hmm. and once she, she did a drawing I have at the house, a small one, saying, una señora muy enojada, mm -hmm. a very, very mad woman. Mm -hmm. and. She gave me that for the feminists. So she did care very mm. much for the feminist mm. causes. Mm. She was very, very intelligent. Well, one gets the sense in her childhood that she was extremely intelligent, but also what, uh, were she not so talented, one would be tempted to call a spoiled brat. You know, her childhood was so oppositional, wasn't it, with her father? You might say that her father was a tyrannical. Yeah, maybe, maybe I exaggerated a little, no? Maybe I, we, I didn't do justice to Harold Carrington and to mm. the mother, no. Well, you didn't make them unsympathetic. The mother is very sympathetic. Yes, the mother, Maureen, yeah. is very sympathetic. Yeah. But she always made fun of her. When she, uh, Maureen took her to see the queen, mm. she said that she had worn a dress that belonged to Maureen, only uh, about four sizes. Uh, four <laughs> sizes. Too big. Como se dice? Bueno, I see that she, Maureen she was, was like that, and she was very, yeah. thin. she was yeah. always very beautiful. Mm. Octavio Paz found her really mm. very beautiful. She's uh, in the pictures I've seen of her. She is extremely beautiful, but also very unsexy. I mean, she's not so. Why do you say that? She's very <laughs> sexy. Maybe it's my taste. No, she loved she loved men, mm -hmm. and she was loved by men. Yeah. Really, she was very much. The, no, no, she's not unsexy. <laughs> You're making a horrible <laughs> mistake. Okay. No. She it's was very sexy. Okay. <laughs> she was more sexy than any movie actress I can remember. She was sexier than Dolores del Rio, for instance. You have Maria Felix in your book. Maria Fe oh, but Maria Felix and uh, Leonora became very good friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, Leonora did a portrait of Maria Felix mm -hmm. also like Diego Rivera. She mm. hated Diego Rivera, mm. and she hated Mexican muralism. Mm. She found it was ghastly. But she I did, think a, mural, the only she did thing a mural for James, didn't she? She, what? Did a, she did a mural for James. She did a mural for James. Mm. And she did a mural that is now at the Tate Gallery of Chiapas, uh -huh. of the plumed serpent, mm. and because she cared very much for Ignacio Bernal, uh -huh. who was the head of anthropology yeah. at the time. Mm. Looking back on this book and on other fiction, like the, the book you did on, on, on Diego Rivera, the letters to, to Diego Rivera, and the Tina Modotti book, what are the dangers of writing fictionalized biography? Well, the dangers are that usually, I always say they are novels. They are based on reality, 
but the things I don't know, I just make them up. No. So <laughs> I, I'm no. taken by the I'm taken taken by the writing, and uh, I get very very como se dice entusiasmada with yeah. the writing, yeah. very yeah. excited. Mm. So uh, mm. I don't I don't know, but maybe <laughs> they're not exact biography. I only did one real biography of my husband, Guillermo Aro, uh, called El Universo o Nada, Universal or mm -hmm. Nothing, because uh, when I did a, a book on another book called, este, I've forgotten the title of the book, imagine how. Uh, <laughs> Would it be? The skin of the sky. Ah, yes. The skin of the, oh, there it is. <laughs> the, the skin of the sky. Uh, it, it was based on his life, but not on his love life. Mm. It was based on his work. Mm. And everyone came up to me and said, oh, but your husband was like this and that. And I kept saying, no, it's not my husband. So I really did the universe. Or another, which is a sentence, a phrase by H.G. Wells. Mm -hmm. The other thing, of course, the great advantage of this kind of biography is that they're they're popular, aren't they? They take the they take the story much further than a scholarly account would do. So the people that you write about are better known, even if they're not known accurately, than they would be if you wrote a standard biography. <laughs> well, yes, because uh, books I think like this ones even. They take you to real history, no? So mm -hmm. you want to know more about, so you real, yeah. very dull history books, and you start to, uh, so <laughs> it, it, it is a path, mm -hmm. an opening to real hi history. Yes. But not many books are, are, are made of this like that. No. In, at least not in Mexico, no. no. We have historians. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, uh, David Brading, I, mm -hmm. I listened to him, uh, he spoke of Octavio Paz, and uh, I much admired his sincerity because he said he didn't know what Octavio Paz had been doing in Cambridge, and then he said that he said that he didn't care at all for Charles Tomlinson's poetry. poetry. He said, "Oh no, I just started and I stopped. I couldn't <laughs> care less." So. I, I admire him for his bravery because mm. we Mexican writers, somos muy lambiscones, no? We always, <laughs> no, we always say, oh, he, she, she, even if we don't think so, mm. uh, we always say, oh, she, he's so good, he's so wonderful, she's yeah. so wonderful, what a beautiful book, yeah. even if it is, it's half true. That was a bit of a problem in the Octavio event, was that there were, Octavio wasn't a saint. Octavio was a very wonderfully complex and defective man, like all of us. I mean, are complex and defective people, but he was very much uh, almost a sort of Saint Teresa figure walked out of the. Out of the so country. now, yeah, now we <laughs> he's become one of our saints, yeah. and Carlos Fuentes will probably be a second saint. Yeah. The on, uh, the only one who will never be a saint is, of course, uh, Juan Rulfo, because because uh, he is so linked to the earth. Yeah. to the Mexican earth that uh, it's really Mexicans who yeah. are feel very near to him. Yes. I I love the I loved Rulfo very much, no? He was a, I met him twice. He was a very very quiet man, wasn't he? Yes, he was a very quiet man. <laughs> he didn't like people coming up to him mm. and telling him anything and mm. I remember a young very young 
lovely girl came up to him and said, uh, uh, I admire you so much. What do you feel when you write? And, and, and Rufus, he went like this and he said, remorse. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Elin, I've had enough of your time. I'd like to share you with the, with the, with the populace here. Um, uh, uh, can I invite questions from, from the floor? I'm curious uh, what language you spoke in with Leonora, uh, one thing. And the second thing is how difficult it was to find her writings, because I think you consulted a lot of her own writings, like Memorias de Abajo, for example, mm. oh, yes. which might have been out of print and what that was like. Well, the language we used to switch was from, from she spoke beautiful French, mm -hmm. and she liked speaking French, and she spoke English, and sometimes, but only very few times, she spoke Spanish. And then she, she didn't want to speak Spanish because <laughs> she said she, she had a wonderful woman who helped her, who took care of her and cooked for her and everything. So she would speak in another language, not Spanish, and she kept saying, I don't trust her. I don't trust her. <laughs> and I said, Leonora, she couldn't care less before. And, and besides, uh, she's a very devoted, lovely person. But she kept saying, I don't trust her. <laughs> yes, she had keys. She always had keys. Uh, uh, uh. And where did you, f did you find her writings? Are her writings in print or are they all out of print? No, no, in Mexico they mm -hmm. are all in print, mm -hmm. first by ERA mm -hmm. and then uh, by, by the another Siglo XXI. Uh -huh. So they are all in print. You can find them and you can find them in France. They were translated. I think Max Ernst uh, mm -hmm. helped her translate one of them. Right. So her, her literature, which is Le Cornet Acoustique mm -hmm. and the other, they are really, uh, you can s find them yeah. anywhere. That's good. And probably, mm -hmm. and, and they are beautiful. They, no, the word is not beautiful, but they are very extraordinary mm -hmm. stories. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should do an anthology, Carpenter. Maybe you'll edit a, a book for us of Leonora's writings. Oh, stories are wonderful. Yeah. They are really. She has a, uh, one of the last one was uh, How to Eat the Archbishop of Canterbury, with, with chili peppers, with <laughs> and uh, mole. And mole so. I'm sorry, my English is so bad at the beginning. It, when I arrived, it wasn't so <laughs> awful. It's but instead, as I'm going back to Mexico tomorrow, tomorrow after day after tomorrow, uh, English s is fading away. <laughs> You're doing very well. It'll be like the Cheshire I'm cat sorry, smile. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Good. More questions? Uh, Hi, thank you very much for a wonderful talking. I hardly come to book readings or interviews, but from now on, I think I will go more often because today has been wonderful. But um, last month, I also attended the Octavio Paz homage and also followed by the Enrique Krauser's interview. And Enrique Krauser was talking that in Mexico, we need to, to develop new political parties. I know in, uh, it looks in Mexico at the moment we're facing so many issues and it's portrayed in the outside Mexico as bad, horrible, terrible issues. But having, I'm Mexican and I think Mexico is wonderful. But uh, Enrique Krauser was saying that in Mexico we need new political parties in order to make a change. But by reading the press and my experience in Mexico, 
I mean, uh, having journalists talking about real life in Mexico, sometimes it is difficult. Sometimes they disappear soon after. So here we are with you, 83 years old, 82 years old. So I wonder, and, and hearing you today, I can see you you, you talk what you think. I hate political no, <laughs> I can see that you talk what you think. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how do you manage to survive? <laughs> uh, well, first, uh, I, I dislike political parties. What I like is the people. I like Mexicans, so especially Mexicans that say very magical things to you, really, and that have uh, no opportunity at all. Most of them do not know how to read and write. I prefer them to anyone, especially to political parties. <coughs> I think when I listen to politicians and their speeches, I always feel they are so very dull. I, I'm near, I feel near uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador mm -hmm. because I, I think he's good looking. Before <laughs> he used to be good looking, now he's gotten old, you know? Mm -hmm. but, uh, because I more or less understood what he said. But usually, uh, for instance, the PRI, I don't understand what, they, what they're talking about. I hate all this rhetoric, esa retórica mexicana, retórica priista. I have nothing, it, it doesn't go into my heart or my soul or anything, my stomach, anywhere. It doesn't <laughs> get anywhere. So I'm very bad. I, uh, my answer to you would be very bad, no? But I do wish that Mexico could be, that could give opportunities to the people who haven't had any opportunities, to all the persecuted people, especially, uh, I'm thinking of the 43 students that were murdered in uh, Ayotzinapa. No, I shouldn't say that, they disappeared. The disappeared 43 boys, students that had absolutely no possibility. Imagine one of them. One of them uh, uh, said he was 24, and he said it was the first time in his life he tasted milk, and that it felt good. Uh, so, it, it's the the distances. There's an abyss, a very profound abyss between one social class and another in Mexico. And this, this, this gap, which is huge, this should be, this should, I think that if this changes, the country will, se va a levantar. Mm -hmm. uh, I hear you uh, met uh, Alberto Montes, so I... Yo no oigo nada porque estoy oh. alma sorda. Bueno, bueno, no hay problema. Um, <laughs> should I ask you in English or Spanish? Sorry. No. Well, in English, English, I guess. So um, I heard you met Albert Mutis in Lecumberry, and I would love to know some about him from your perspective. I mean, uh, what is the experience of him being born in Colombia but living mostly in Mexico? So if you have anything to share about that. Well, in Lecumberry, he immediately became a, a, what is called un mayor, the mayor de Crujía. Mayor, he was the head of all the Crujía. Uh, because he was intelligent, of course, and because he was, Moody's uh, was a very good-looking man, and very intelligent man. So he started uh, making theater 
in, in, in la cárcel, in the jail. And, and he did a, a play called El Licenciado, Tú No Te Apures. I mean, mm -hmm. it was El Licenciado, Tú No Te Apures is don't worry, don't worry, uh, don't worry. The licenciados always say don't worry, so you, <coughs> you keep staying in jail for a long time. And he was a very good mayor, and the people, the conejos, the the rabbits, uh, the, rabbits <laughs> the rabbits are the the prisoners that keep uh, that are so poor they keep going in 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 jail all the time. No, they they go out, they steal something, even if it's only a banana, and they go back into jail. Mm. And some of them told me we prefer to be in jail because at least here we eat. Este, Álvaro was a very good mayor, and he did this this play, and also Siqueiros did all the uh, the decorations. Yeah. David Alfaro Siqueiros, mm -hmm. who was in jail, did all the decorations, and Siqueiros had he had a, a better situation because he had one cell in order where mm -hmm. he could paint, yeah. and the other cell where he could sleep. As I I think yeah, I, yeah, I, I said this yeah. before. Mm -hmm. And Mutis, and Mutis said something very, very queer to me. I went. He he wanted all of Marcel Proust à la recherche du temps perdu, so he wanted me to bring that to him uh, in a, collect, a beautiful collection called La Pléiade. Mm -hmm. So I did, and. Uh, he told me, you know, and he had a wife at that time. He had many wives, but he had <laughs> one wife, and uh, she was pregnant by him in, uh, during that time. And he told me, her name was Mireya, and he told me, when, when I'm set free, when I'm out of jail, she will marry the lawyer. <laughs> and, it, and, and it did, it exactly the same thing happened. The, the wife married the lawyer. <laughs> and can, can I say that uh, it's been an enormous privilege for all of us, especially for me, to hear you tonight, Elena. And um, it's wonderful that you're here to sign books. I hope you'll sign books. Will you sign books? Oh, I'd love to sign oh. books. And uh, <laughs> I'd love to sign books, and I'd love to be able to now. To, tonight, I'm going to start reading this book <laughs> that Amanda translated in English, so because I'm forgetting all of my English. <laughs> well, it's a real joy to have you here. It's a joy to have your translator here too, because translators are never given enough credit. She's a great translator. Amanda. Oh yes. <laughs> and uh, can we? Can and we she's a great, a great, uh, a very great social fighter. <laughs> Thanks for listening. For more, go to lrb.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.